Overcoming Bitterness and Acts chapter 6 coming up on The Gray Snapper. Oh yeah. Welcome to The Gray Snapper Podcast, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley, and I'm your host, Jess Harns. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the topic of bitterness, and we'll also read through the book of Acts chapter 6, but uh, first of all, I want to read to you a quick encouragement. I always want to encourage you, even while I warn you and confront you and then build you back up. But first, let's get into that encouragement. Today's encouragement is going to come from the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. Paul says this to the Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I'm just stop right there. What he is praying is that you will have a supernatural strength that can only come from God and that this strength will be in your inner man, right? That what he is calling for you is from the Lord to give you a strength that you don't currently have. And he's going to talk about the what the result of this strengthening will be. In verse 17, he says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So, in order for Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, it's going to take the supernatural strengthening of God by His Spirit in your inner man, that that Christ would dwell in your heart. And not only that, that He would, as He dwells in your heart, that you'll be rooted and grounded in His love, okay? That you would know His love, that you would be rooted and grounded and firm in that, and then out of that, you would live out His love, right? It's like you're a tree rooted in the in the nutrient the the nutrient dense soil of his love you will bear fruit in accordance with his love. And what's amazing in what's going to take strength from God that you don't have is verse 18 to comprehend his love. So it says verse 18 to comprehend what is the breadth the length the height the depth how massive his love is. And how big is it verse 19 he says that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he's saying that you would know that which is beyond fully knowing. And the word for knowledge here, to know the love of Christ, is that sort of experiential knowledge. Not that just not just that you would know about it, but that you would have an experiential knowledge of that love. And, uh, and I like to compare it to this. It's like the difference between reading about the Grand Canyon and actually going and seeing the Grand Canyon. You might be able to read a, a, an encyclopedia article about the Grand Canyon, and know that it's big and amazing. You might be able to imagine it. But someone who has actually been to the Grand Canyon has a different type of knowledge of it. And what they have when you go to the Grand Canyon is you don't just know factually that it's big. You have a sense for how immense and massive it is. You have this awe, this this wonder about it. And what you realize when you when you see this Grand Canyon, and maybe when you hike down into this Grand Canyon, is that this thing is so big and so much bigger than you and so massive, you couldn't possibly explore the whole thing in your lifetime. 
And I think that's what he's saying here, is that you would have a sense, sort of an experiential knowledge, that leaves you in wonder at the love of Christ. That, that you would have a sense that his love is so big that you, you can't possibly grasp and explore every aspect of it in your lifetime. And that knowing that his love for you is that big and that massive um, should give you great confidence in him. And then in so doing, you would be filled up with the fullness of God, right? That his love would would fill you, that you, the sense of his love, and that, that the, the way that he loves you then the way as you experience that, as you see it, as you come to understand it, that you would show the same kind of love towards fellow believers and your fellow man. And so you'd be filled up with the fullness of God. That Not only would you have a feeling and a sense for his love, but then his love would be then lived out through you uh, towards others. And then he says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christ is able to accomplish this. He's able to give you the sense of both faith and the sense of his love that then leads you to live according to his love, right? And uh, he he's the one that can do that beyond what you could even ask or think. So, Christian, you, the resources available to you, the love available to you uh, in Christ is just absolutely massive. And so that is my prayer for all of us, that we would have a real knowledge of that. Well, we're going to get into our weekly warning now. Today's weekly warning is going to be on the topic of bitterness. Bitterness. Uh, I want to warn you of allowing bitterness to take root in your heart. And uh, I'm going to kind of reference a really uh, helpful little booklet called Bitterness, The Root That Pollutes by a guy named Lou Priolo. You can spell his name P-R-I-O-L-O. Bitterness, The Root That Pollutes. You can find it on Kindle and Amazon and all those kinds of places. Well, let's talk about what bitterness is. Today we're going to sort of define bitterness and how bitterness shows up in our life. And then next time, we're going to talk about forgiveness and how you overcome bitterness. Okay, so starting off with defining it. One of the words biblically for bitterness literally describes the bitter taste of certain foods or drinks. The verb translated to be bitter means to cut or to prick. You may think of bitterness as an internal self-inflicting wound, and so it is. But the Bible says that this, is, that this resentful, unforgiving attitude will cut and prick others as well. Bitterness is the result of not forgiving others. So if you're bitter, it's because you're not forgiving. If you are bitter at someone, it means that you haven't truly forgiven that person. To put it another way, bitterness is the result of responding improperly or unbiblically to being offended. The scripture likens bitterness to a root. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up to cause trouble and by it many be defiled. That's from Hebrews 12, 15. Roots have to be planted. So let me ask you, what do you suppose is the seed that when planted in the soil of our hearts sprouts into a root of bitterness. What's that seed that turns into bitterness? 
Well, generally speaking, it is a hurt. When someone hurts you, it's as if that person dropped a seed of bitterness onto the soil of your heart. At that point, you will choose to respond in two ways. Either you can reach down and pluck up the seed by forgiving your offender, or you can begin to cultivate the seed by reviewing the hurt over and over again in your mind. Bitterness is the result of dwelling too long on a hurt. And again, it is the indication that one has not truly forgiven the offender. So, what are the ways that bitterness shows up in someone's life? How does bitterness show up? Well, Lupriolo gives several different ways, different indicators of bitterness in someone's life. Um, The first is difficulty in resolving conflicts. Trying to resolve a conflict with someone that you are unwilling to forgive is like trying to build a skyscraper without first laying a solid foundation. The bitterness will doom the project before it gets off the ground. So if you have difficulty resolving conflicts, you might want to look deep into your heart and see if bitterness might not be the reason. Number two, there are acts of vengeance. These, of course, (laughs) seem to be more obvious uh, signs of bitterness. So whether it takes the form of backbiting... uh, or you know, spiteful remarks to one another, or some kind of physical altercation. When you take vengeance, of course, it's a sign that you have not forgiven and therefore are bitter. Number three, okay, you might be less aggressive. You might not carry out acts of vengeance, but instead you are withdrawing from others. Okay, so you you don't resolve conflicts. You act. There's acts of vengeance. The third sign is withdrawal. When, you, when we give our offenders the silent treatment or the cold shoulder, we're being vindictive. We are saying, look, I've tried to tell you over and over again how much it bugs me that you don't do X, Y, Z, but you just don't get it. So the only thing I know to do is to show you how much you've hurt me by giving you a little taste of your own medicine. And maybe I'll talk to you again in a few days or maybe never, but... The withdrawal is basically you're treating someone almost as if they're dead in order to cause and inflict some kind of pain on them. The fourth uh, indicator of bitterness would be outbursts of anger. Okay, when we when we are bitter, we don't see each new offense as its own thing on a clean slate, which is easy to forgive. We see it as a growing list or a mountain of hurtful things that have been piling up. And so there are outbursts of anger because it's tied to that bitterness. The next thing is biting sarcasm. When you make ironic intonations or snide remarks, mean-spirited jokes, scornful replies, those are often coming from a resentful, bitter heart. That's sarcasm. Seek because you despise the other person. The next thing is condescending communication. When you speak to your offender as though they were a child or inferior, it's not only possible a possible indication of bitterness, but it is actually the opposite of what Philippians 2.3 says, that we are with humility to regard one another as more important than ourselves. When we think of someone else as more important, we're not going to be condescending and downputting in our communication. The next indicator of bitterness is criticism. When you are judging and critical and condemning It often comes from the heart of bitterness. Next is suspicion and distrust. When bitterness causes a breakdown in communication, it often does, 
the parties become suspicious of each other. Small offenses that typically would be dismissed with, he didn't mean anything by that, or I've done that same thing myself a hundred times, or he's just having a bad day, those kinds of thoughts are then interpreted with less charitable motives, where you begin to read into everything that they're doing with the worst possible motives. The next is intolerance. Similarly, bitterness disposes us not to put up with or bear with each other's kind of strange behavior, idiosyncrasies, things that are not sinful, that are just kind of different or irritating. We are not, we're not patient. We are intolerant of those things. Uh, and then being resentful and bitter tends to take a molehill and turn it into a mountain. The next is hypersensitivity. When someone's bitter, they treat a sort of pinprick as though they were stabbed with a knife. Um, proud individuals are especially prone to fall into this snare. Um, people are who are proud and think highly of themselves uh, are bitter that they're not treated better and are hypersensitive to any slight. The next is impatience. Impatience involves being able to keep a biblical, or patience involves being able to keep a biblical perspective about our troubles by not magnifying things that are sort of tolerable, right? So when we're patient, we don't amplify minor inconveniences. But bitterness causes us to lose this sort of biblical perspective. It magnifies things that we could forgive, but it blows them out of proportion and sort of deems them as like unforgivable. I can't possibly forgive the person of this, uh, this sin or this offense. It tempts us to resort to unbiblical means of delivering ourselves from the trial rather than waiting on God to work through our peacemaking attempts to resolve the conflict bitterly, or bitterly, biblically. Okay, so bitterness leads to impatience. We Things we would normally put up with, we don't. Next, disrespect. If a person at whom we are bitter is an authority figure, our contempt for that person will eventually make its way out of our hearts, into our mouths, in the form of irreverence and disrespect. The next would be rebellion against authority. Rebellion hardly ever occurs apart from bitterness. It's because there's some sort of seed of hurt that sprouts into bitterness, and then it leads to a stubbornness, and then and then you rebel. Okay, then you just oppose, and you you know it doesn't that that person you oppose them for the sake of opposing them, uh, and rebelling against them because they are an authority against whom you have some sort of bitterness. Next would be misusing authority. So when you are in, a, in an authority position and you're bitter towards someone who is under you, it produces, bitterness produces in a domineering, dictatorial, or tyrannical attitude that demands uh, obedience when it's not necessary. Bitterness makes you that way. Okay, next is depression. Okay, now a lot of people don't think of depression in this way. A lot of people see depression as uh, sort of a, uh, like a mental illness and Sometimes there are physiological issues at play, but often depression comes after continually running around a track that you would, that depletes our energy, right? And we're we're constantly running around this track of running over how we've been wronged, offended, and we sort of feel stuck in that. And so our bodily strength is zapped 
And the same principle holds true at the emotional level. You know, if you run around the track over and over, you're physically, you're physically just uh, zapped. The same principle holds true at the emotional level that it takes a lot of emotional energy to maintain a grudge. So after several laps around the unforgiveness track, most of us will have depleted our emotional energy and become emotionally exhausted and depressed. So depression could be because of bitterness. That's basically wearing you out. The next next sign of bitterness, doubts regarding salvation. See, Jesus, after he taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, said to them, if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Our unwillingness to forgive an offender in light of all that we've been forgiven in Christ should give us pause to consider whether or not we are truly in the faith. See, true Christians have the power to forgive. And so if you find it that is impossible to forgive, you it's possible you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's possible that you don't know the Lord. You should pause and consider this. The next sign of bitterness is remembering, okay, this is really important, remembering with great specificity the details of an offense. See, bitterness really amplifies really particular things, gives you real specific memories of how you have been wronged, because you've rehearsed them over and over. Um, And it's possible that the details, uh, that causes us to remember things and details that didn't actually occur. The word is confabulate, (laughs) to unconsciously replace facts with fiction. You've been running over the details in your mind, your interpretation in your mind, and you have started to sort, you started to kind of combine things and events, and you might remember things in a way that they didn't actually occur. And regardless of how you've been hurt, a Christian who is committed to pleasing God has no choice but to forgive offenders of sins that they've committed against you. But when you do, when you, when you don't forgive, you often are rehearsing over and over how someone has offended you. Well, so those are the signs of bitterness. Um, on the next episode, we're going to talk about the basics of forgiveness and how to overcome that bitterness in your heart and to transform your feelings. random set of chords that I just played with no discernible melody. All right, our scripture reading for today is from the book of Acts chapter 6. All right, I love this reading. I love going through the book of Acts. There's so much going on here, um, and we get to see how the Holy Spirit really just empowered his the early disciples to spread the gospel um, with great endurance and effectiveness. Love it. All right, so we're going to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Who are the Hellenistic Jews? They were Hellenistic is the Greek, um, the ones that come from the Greek uh, parts of the Roman Empire. Um, they had more Greek sort of clothing and traditions. Um, and so the native Hebrews and the Hellenistic Jews uh, didn't always get along. So now you have believers from both sets uh, of Jews. And now the Hellenistic Jews who were in town, 
because they had been saved and were there for the Passover and were hanging around, while those widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Okay, so verse 2, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Okay, so notice a couple of things. They didn't say that the tables and the food were not important. No, it actually was important. And that the conflict that has arisen because of it, it's not an illegitimate conflict. It's one that needs to be resolved and and needs to be uh, figured out. But what they're saying is that the, the highest priority is that the Word of God, the preaching of it, and the ministering of the Word of God to the people was the highest priority, and that that was the role of the apostles, and later that becomes the role of elders in the church. Um the, that, that, that the serving of the Word of God should not be neglected for the sake of serving food. But the food was important, and so you needed to uh, put g- good men in charge of looking out for those tasks. And it really was just a key um, component of maintaining the unity of the body and allowing the Word of God to go forward unhindered. And so they say, set aside these guys, men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, okay? Another thing, that leadership in the church, whether it's practical needs or, uh, or the um, preaching of the word, needs to be done by godly leadership. Godly men need to be leading these things, and so you need these men to step up and to lead in these ways. Well, moving on to verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay. Now again, the idea here is not that el- uh, the apostles are going to stand there and do nothing while they watch these other men serve. No, it's like this. It's like they've got their the Bible in hand, and they're going from person to person, ministering the Scriptures and teaching and answering questions and praying with people. They're working hard to serve the Word to people. That's what ministry means, it's service, the service of the Word. They're going to do that while these other men are, you know, coming along behind and handing out the food. <laughs> so they're both working hard just with different roles. Verse 5, So the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and greatly And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. How cool. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. It's amazing. God gave him particular grace and power in that way. He was one of the deacons. (laughs) So being a deacon here, you see, doesn't mean that uh, he, he was just relegated only to serving food. He also was doing signs and wonders, and as we'll see later, he was preaching powerfully. Verse 9, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenian and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and spirit which he was, with which he was speaking. Then they secretly in, induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him saying that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and the altar and the customs and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing his gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Oh, what an interesting description of what was going on there in the book of Acts in uh and how Stephen, here's a, here's a man who was, you know, he was <laughs> brought on to, to wait on tables, uh, but he was ministering the Word of God, and he was preaching boldly, and the Lord was giving amazing effectiveness to his preaching. Next time, we're going to read Acts chapter 7, where Stephen stands before the, the council and preaches to them the gospel, and uh, it's pretty awesome stuff. Well... Thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper. For more information, visit us at gracenapa.org. And until next time, keep on swimming.